Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, we have returning friend Leanne Lord. Leanne is a veteran stand-up comedian who has appeared on HBO, Comedy Central, The View, and is a former co-host of the Emmy-nominated Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. She has performed for the troops in the Middle East and is a recipient of the AHA Humanist Arts Award. Leanne can be seen in her recent dry bar comedy special, I Mean Business, and Showtime's Even More Funny Women of a Certain Age. She is the author of several humor books, including Dick Jokes and Real Women Do It Standing Up, both available on Amazon. And welcome new friend to the show, Jenna Bond, who I recently ran into at the Writers Guild. Her screen work ranges from Run the World on Stars to the live special Our Shared Future for the Smithsonian. She's a career anchored along 125th Street working at the Apollo Theater, and she serves on the board of the Harlem Stage. And she co-hosted fundraisers at the Met Museum. And we get into it, her relationship with Dapper Dan on the show. And welcome back to the show, Keith Price comedian, actor, writer, radio personality. He was the first out African-American personality on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. He produces and performs in comedy shows in and out of New York City. He also is the host and executive producer of his own podcast, Keith Price's Curtain Call, available on all platforms. Being the first generation American son of Honduran immigrants growing up gay in Texas and seeking comedic glory in New York City is enough for any sitcom. His first one-man show, Ebony Chunky Love, Bitch Can't Get a Date, is a subject of an award-winning documentary of the same name. His follow-up second show, Heartaches and Hard-Ons, was a circuit hit, and he is currently working on the third installment of Ebony Chunky Love. I just want to say thank you, Keith, for giving me the opportunity to say hard-ons in the intro. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's important. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast. And Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. And now, if you are a certain tier member on Patreon, you have the ability to join us during our recording backstage. Ever want to leave a comment? Felt like you were yelling at me, but I didn't respond back. Now's your opportunity. Just go to our Patreon page. Shout out to Stacy. Thanks for joining us this week. That was fun. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, tank tops. They're all available. Just go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick. My wacky friend, Dave Jessica, we give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. Sometimes we offer free stuff, like tickets to comedy shows. And with friends like us, it'll help you feel not so long because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still. If you want to get vaccinated, make sure you booster up. Uh, be careful of monkeypox. Wear long sleeves. And Black Lives Matter. Jenna Bond for the first time. Our new guest, Leanne Lord. She's returning after way too long. Ooh. And Keith Price, <sighs> who is also returning. And I, you know, I thought about this chemistry and I just felt like 
we're all of a certain age. We're over whatever. I'm over. I'm over. We're over the certain age. I'm over and over it. <laughs> and over it. And I just, I think like there's a certain conversation that we can have that is we all connect with. Absolutely. So I thought this would work. And plus, Leanne and Keith, you guys know each other very well. Yeah. And, I'm loving and I was like, who's going to work well? Yeah, <laughs> Jenna, I, Jenna, who is new to the show and new to both of you, I met at the Writers Guild party years ago when I was writing on HBO's Divorce. And I met Jenna and she's one of those people that she'll come up to you and introduce herself and be lovely and be helpful and offer like, what do you need? And then she came in recently at another Writers Guild meeting that Mark Theobald threw for diversity amongst, you know, to bring in, you know, a lot of the writers that are of color together because we don't normally do that. And Jenna just took over the meeting and organized it. And it was awesome. <laughs> okay. That, so she's a writer. And, and yes. No, I'm, I'm hearing the subtext is I should renew my Writers Guild membership because I am missing out. Clearly. Well, I, I have to get in. So <laughs> <laughs> So we are at all stages here. <laughs> no, let's 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 create a musical about Galveston because I think there needs to be like a new Hello Dolly thing. So <laughs> Which I actually know. saw in Galveston at our big we have a big outdoor musical theater space as well as the eighteen eighty four opera house. So Oh, I love it. Yeah, there's not been a big black musical that's been time purity. Yeah. <laughs> for lots of reasons though. <laughs> But it's out of courtesy. I just want to say for the record, for people listening, it's taking over to make sure that everybody remembers the rules of being collective. Mm -hmm. Sometimes at group events, someone feels a need to do like a huge spiel for over five minutes and they're like 100 people in a room. <laughs> and I feel like etiquette should be a group conversation before we jump in on things. Jenna, your scarf is taking is blocking your mic. Oh, it's a lovely scarf. I know, right? But I we want to hear you, not the scarf. <laughs> I love to be warm. I'm so, I'm, I'll be, I, I know, I'm such a technical one. I've gotten so much better at this. I used to like sweat and be all stressed out. Now I'm like, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. And just watch your collar when it hits that microphone. Okay. Yeah, don't you? You don't have to take off your shirt, but it'd be hot. Oh my goodness! Uh, so, hey, be like, this is what we do at this age. I would just take our clothes off because we sex, we don't care. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I had a conversation with Lynn Coplitz because she did her special about hormonal beast, and I was like, "Help me, please! Help me with these hot flashes I'm having." And she's like, "All you have to do is make sure you have lots of fans going on in your in your." space i'm underneath the air conditioner wow i have an optional blanket just in case because i get hot and then i get really cold and i'm so glad no one is with me right now because they would <laughs> my sister stayed with me for two weeks and i was like i need you out of here <laughs> you can't you can't share this space with me this is a crime seriously this is new york city what are you doing um but jenna i wanted to start with you on this question about you know, I was looking at your page because I do a little research. I always look at, you know, websites. And it says that your um, heart is in Harlem. Yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's weird. I guess I was trying. I try to pretend that I'm from. I do pretend I'm from Harlem. I guess it's me being me authentically fake. Um, <laughs> but I thought I was born on the wrong planet. Um 
it's funny, Baltimore is famous for The Wire, but it just isn't, it wasn't that intense. It was just like a very uninteresting place for me. Um, and I was just like, I guess I should just get used to being bored. And I wanted to be a magazine publisher. So like, I was like on a political track in terms of like who my mentors were and where I went to college. And I was like, why don't I just see if I can get like this internship in New York? It was like summer 2003. And it was like the summer that like gave my heart a pulse. Um, And that was like step one. And then I realized I was born 20 years too late for the magazine life I wanted to have. And I made a list of 20 things I'd rather do. And like towards the bottom of that list was actually work for Clinton. And I just made a couple phone calls and it was like a, I guess a sign of civil rights that I was just like, Hey, I think it'd be cool to work for Clinton. Can you help me? And someone's like, sure. And, um, he had an office on one, he has an office on 125th and, um, I just had a casual coffee. I was like, I work great with intelligent people. And then I just want to learn. And if there's an opening, let me know. And I had spent like maybe a week or two being Lee Daniels assistant, also in Harlem, 133rd Street at office. And then I ended up spending five years on 125th for Clinton. And in that period of time, all the restaurant owners like helped me grow as a person and have like be authentic, be honest, be responsible. Like I was shy and like, or I wouldn't be like weird about following up. And I just learned how to belong to other people and to receive other people and really like live with the intention of having an imprint. And so whether it's at the Pawnee or native, like when I applied to business school at Columbia, which is not my thing because I don't want to be um, uncool in the writing industry. Uh, but like I went to Columbia Business School and like they would feed me for free the local restaurants while I was studying and make sure I got to 700 and asking me why I wasn't getting there. And then I worked at the Apollo. Um, and uh, right now I'm like, I guess I'm there's someone who's letting me use their Harlem office so I can spread out and write because I've been shy about pitching the next project. So I have like my own free desk where I sit and write and Dapper Dan and I have coffee every other week. So I feel like Dard, who I know some people know for just being beautiful, topless on a bike, he'll stop and tell me about old Harlem. Like I feel like I've been pulled in here. And Dapper Dan, just so you know, my sister, when she was here for the two weeks, he uh, well, I approached him because I he just walks around. Yeah, and walks. for those of you who don't know who, can you tell them who Dapper Dan is, just in case? Because I know some people may not know. Yes, who he is. I mean it's funny because um, I was thinking about this in terms of Andre Harrell because uh, I don't think enough people know how much he's impacted like black swag as well. But I, the whole idea of hip art, hip hop artists affecting fashion and really giving the names Gucci or Fendi a place in higher society uh, comes from Dapper Dan. He had a shop on 125th back in the day and he's the one who made the, the famous LL Cool J outfits and, and like, um, I can't think of, oh, she, she was like one of the first rappers too. Like he just made- MC Light or? No, I'm talking about like 80s. Like, um, oh. I feel bad. But he he was- Roxanne? A, a, Roxanne, but there was someone else too. But like he made, he was a brilliant tailor. So he, they never put- Logo, he's like considered the father of logo mania. Like you wouldn't see Gucci, like the 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 red and green outside of Gucci. Like it would just be a stage shirt, and he's the person that was like, put it on the outside or put the logo everywhere. Like he was the person that defined that. So people would come. Like Mike Tyson's the one who got him put underground because he had a fight in front, which shut the shop down. But like the whole idea of Lil Kim or and and Biggie like just make rapping fashion originates with Dapper Dan. Um, yeah, because I heard he would take 
Louis Vuitton bags and make his own outfits. And, you know, Louis Vuitton, it's actually kind of like illegal, but they loved what he was doing. So they actually hired him to do it. Well, what happens, they got caught. Uh, They... They shut him down for using the fabric and then they stole his uh, actual designs when they mm-hmm. did like a re- brand refresh in like 2014, maybe. 2015. And then thanks to social media, someone did a side by side of 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 the rapper I'm actually referring to. And it was um, it was very clear that Gucci was stealing from him, ironically, I guess, oh, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. And so now he's working with tons of brands. Um, I'm not going to say which ones, I think some aren't announced yet, but he's Gucci's expiring is exclusive. And now he, he's like did Pepsi for Super Bowl last year. Um, just, just someone who's, but he's someone who really outside of his fashion influence, he's someone who really cares about the neighborhood. So he, yes. he like, he shared an article he wrote with in like the seventies about gentrification and he was someone who told his friends to buy in the 90s and when the when the housing market was low. But he's also someone who's just really conscious about what it means to preserve Harlem. What does um, the integration of class mean um, and how can how can different classes of black people preserve the neighborhood? Um, and, and he's really supportive of uh, like I'll see a 17 year old who says they want to become a designer, walk up to him and he'll spend time and give his actual email address out and talk to that person about how and- they start the business. And that's what he did with my sister. She's a young photographer who's she, her talent. She's very talented. We were just walking around in Harlem and I saw him. I said, let's take a, that's Dapper Dan. She said, who? She didn't know. (laughs) We took a picture with him. Do you know he took her on for that week? Wow. And had her go to all his events with him. Wow. To share. He calls her up. Even now he calls her, sees, checks on her, see how she's doing. I mean, you know, that is community. You know, I mean, I was really kind of, uh, of course, me, I was suspicious. I was like, why is this all being? <laughs> uh, I was like, listen, um, I, I'm from Chicago, but I'm also from these New York streets now. <laughs> so, like, we all, we all are somebody. Yeah, so just just no, be careful. I said with him and Russell, Russell, and they're just, it's funny, they have so much love in their hearts also just because they weren't accepted by the black middle class. So like part of it is that they're just overjoyed that someone that like they may look at your sister as like, wow, I can't believe this person like thinks I'm special. Um, And it's just interesting because we don't also talk about class diversity within the black community. Like and sometimes people think black people is poor or struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for him, he didn't get into Ebony or Essence until after the Gucci debacle, not before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting that someone can have such a huge impact on black culture, but not be deemed like mentionable until like the mainstream mentions it. Uh, so it, it, I'm sure like she's touched his heart, but um, it's just, That's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, well, a- we talk about this a lot on the show, you know, community, taking care of your community. And that's why I actually brought you on, too, because I was like, I, I we've got some things to talk about in the community. But um, <laughs> like, what are you guys seeing as far as where you are in your community? Do you see like everything that Jenna is talking about? Do you see like, you know, I know, Leanne, you're in the. Which area? The ass end of Queens. <laughs> Surprise! You're like, like what? <laughs> the ass end of Queens. That's hilarious. Yes, I. Uh, I call it if if Manhattan is Narnia, I call this the Shire. 
I am in South Jamaica out by Kennedy Airport, which is great for when I got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. And then beautiful beach. No. Or uh, <laughs> possibly a fun beach. Sorry. <laughs> I am easily I think charmed. Rachel Feinstein Sorry. is moved near you. <laughs> It's been a while since I've been to Caribbean. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, not that Jamaica. <clears throat> no, no, no. I mean, I'm referring. I am referring to Far Rockaway Beach. I'm just saying. I am. Oh. I quit. So, well, I, got, I have a nice little pond out here with some ducks and geese and some uppity swans. You know, that's nice. <laughs> Well, I, I'm in the Bronx, so you know, there's a lot of stuff happening where I'm at. I'm not in I'm not in the nice I'm not in the, the Riverdale Bronx. No, I'm not anywhere near that, honey. I'm hardcore, like East 225th Street, keeping it real real on the real real. Because you gotta keep it real. Like it's so real that I have this bag that has like a big rainbow thing on it that I turned the bag the other way inside out just because there are so many people that I'm just like, I'm worried that I don't need to set anybody off. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, this is, this is, it's not necessarily the most ideal, but at the same time, it's the minor compromise to not be bothered. But like, if, if you were, if you were unfortunately like, and being investigated is what happened to you in a Law and Order episode. Are there people that know your routine and would say like, yeah, Keith always gets his coffee here or like. No, sadly, because I don't want all these people to know my business. <laughs> so if, if this happens in Law and Order episode, just know a bitch is going to be gone because <laughs> ain't no clues. I don't know what that bitch does. <laughs> I love it. But yeah. So like, you know. Got to keep it on the real, real for the real, real. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's your bodega person doesn't like ask after you or anything. Well, no, because I I keep it very low, minimal, low contact. Like I said, if I end up disappearing somewhere in the Bronx, just know that there will be no real clues. Like, you, you just well come to my room and find my stuff, and that's about it. We'll, <laughs> we'll say nice things about you at the memorial. That's what I'm hoping for. Bell High School. That's all I do now. Yeah. <laughs> There's, a, there's actually a, um, a documentary. I can't remember where I saw it. It might be Showtime, might be HBO. I'm not sure, but it's called Black and Missing. <laughs> and it talks about we go missing. And I, I grew up watching all of these shows where, where, where girls were going missing. And I felt safe because it was never black girls. <laughs> and it never occurred to me. It's not that we don't go missing. It's that we're not talked about. Wow. You know, those resources yeah. aren't there. You know, they just think, mm. oh, we, oh, you grown, you left. Yeah. You know, and without somebody pushing, without somebody going, no, 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 this person is missing and we need these resources to find them. This is not a law and order episode for us <laughs> at all. Well, I don't have friends that would know I was missing. Like, I'm attracted, like, I'm attracted to busy people. Mm -hmm. So, like, it would be a few weeks for anyone notice. Like, it might be a month. But Ooh. on my block, people would notice. The fear of dying and single. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I heard a story recently that was like, oh, my God, of a woman who she didn't die, but she almost did and eventually did. Um, but she was by herself. She's single. She's older. And she her, she fell mm -hmm. and she was in pain for days. No one knew. Mm -hmm. And they had and she like neck was almost broken and no one came for days and I was thinking about that story for a while yep. and so I've been very careful around my house lately because I was like oh that's right there's no one here I was like but then the podcast 
If I don't show yeah, up on yeah. a Monday, yeah. just for the listeners, if, oh. if, if, if a podcast doesn't happen, like my intern, my, my assistants, they'll all go, where's Marina? So that's my kids, I guess. Those are the ones that are going to have someone find me. Yeah. The podcast will have someone find me. I got to restart my podcast to save my life. <laughs> Is that what we hear? I'm not trying yeah, to put a, a trail. Did you hear, like, it was like 10 years ago, some black lady in England, like nobody, she like was like, she like she was like an interloper in wealthy circles and no one really cared about her. And then like after an entire year, a year of mail piling up, someone's like, I haven't seen her in a while. Wow. And then they found her like, you yep. know, and I was like, that's crazy. I mean, like, we all got to die, it happens more than found. you think, particularly in a large city, you know, where we have a lot of they call them um, elder orphans. You yes. know, where you're you're single or you may have children, you may not. Having children doesn't mean you have a good relationship with them, you know, and you are on your own some. And things Elder happen. orphans. Elder orphans. Oh, yes. Yeah, that they, they call that a looming crisis, I guess. So I don't. I don't know. Well, I maybe guess, we I, this, is why, this is why I would sell my house and move into a doorman building. So, you know, he knows when somebody doesn't see me for two days, you know, knock on the door. Because right now I'm just preparing for my cat to be able to eat if I die. <laughs> oh, and eat you. Yes. And you know what? Now face I, first. I love him. So at least he won't go hungry. <laughs> Your souls will actually combine. Oh and, you'll, and you'll see New York City in a new way. Ooh, girl. Girl. I know. This leads us into this great article. Why has dating men in, in my 50s been such a dire experience? Um, Re-entering the market for... <laughs> I'm sorry, are you using great sarcastically or is that just the title? <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, a dire experience. So re-entering the market for love in midlife is multifaceted. The people, including you, will be more complicated characters than you were in your 20s with complex histories and the problems that go with them, you may also be more likely to be lonely and therefore more vulnerable. But that doesn't mean there isn't any hope. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> Are we lonely, people? Are we dating, Keith? I don't know no, what's going on. I'm not dating, but I recently have come out of an experience. And so that has left me a little sour on the dating tip, if you will. However, um, you know, there's, I think, personally speaking, in this particular sector of life for most men, and I guess this would probably for your, for your crowd, um, it's like there's a level of, of expectation of where they're supposed to be at this particular set mm -hmm. age. And if for some reason they're not hitting that mark, that's automatically a discount. And so, <laughs> so for... <laughs> Luckily for me, men are just horn dogs, so there's always a way to work around all that. <laughs> but on the emotional tip, it's not yeah. it's a little bit more challenging because when, you know, certainly for me because I don't like, you know, I mean you guys have known me for a very long time, so there's been a lot of really great ups in my world and now I'm in the place where they're not necessarily up anymore. And so I'm working through trying to get my life back in a, a much more up standard. And so that makes it very difficult and challenging for me to want to, you know, be in the pool of dating, if you will, because it makes what I have to offer right now not be what I would love to be able to offer, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. 
So, you know, for the men on that side of the coin, I can speak for them, like for that. I mean, but for when you women are looking for men in, in this age range, it's like you. There is an expectation that they need to be rolling with some stuff going on, and not a lot well, of bag, and not a lot of baggage. Like it's the stubbornness. It. It's the stubbornness that's weird. I don't know. I, I met up with a friend. I'll say recently, but it was in the like past year, and um, it was just meeting up with a friend. I would totally casual hook up with him, and then we were just grabbing drinks. The moment we sat down, he was like, "Let me tell you how it's gonna go," and I, I was like. It was just trauma. I was like appetizers. I was like, what? Like he was just like very obsessed with like control in the situation. Mm-mm. Um, and I wasn't. It was right after someone told me that like, be careful with guys in their fifties. They're like obsessed with telling you how it's going to be, and he like literally did it. Yeah. <laughs> like they're stubborn. Like, there's no. I guess that they'll let you know everything you don't want because yeah. I mean that's the thing is like in in your fifties you get so set in your ways with stuff. It's so hard. Like I had a guy say to me, um, <laughs> this is kind of crazy, but my ex-boyfriend passed. I've had several, actually. You get to a certain age, it's like you have ex-boyfriends that are gone, you know? Um, but this is one that passed. And then his best friend was like, well, hey. It's a funeral. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he said this to me. He goes, hey, you know what? I used to have this checklist of all these things I wanted and I don't have that anymore. So how about you? And I was like, wow. <laughs> While on top of you. <laughs> so now I'm acceptable. Oh, wow. So not only are you disrespecting our friend who's <laughs> barely cold in the grave but now you're also telling me like um my standards are lower and now i'm ready for you do they, do they even hear themselves speak do they hear i don't think that they do because in his mind he's he's i guess laying it out on the table of what it's gonna be he was like, I, I've decided that I need to date someone who I've known for a long time. And I go, you don't know me, though. Obviously, from that thing you just dropped in on me. And Leanne, you have a great uh, Instagram joke that you posted recently about a guy that you dated for a while who was like open, wanted to. Have oh, open- oh, I dated somebody and um, long relationship, but he didn't pop the question. Um, instead, he asked me how I felt about having an open marriage. And I said, well, that- Wait, that's how he brought a marriage in the first place. Yes. Yes. But I mean, wow. and I said, well, that depends on how you feel about having an open casket. Work. <laughs> you know, again, all, being a comedian, you get to process things, you know, on stage. Kind of yeah. Right. You get the stage and you get the, you know, therapy in two ways, actually in front of a person and then with a bu- in front of a bunch of people. But wow. I, crazy. I was going, I, I had to, I, I question Marina, just a little bit of, of pushback. And I understand why people say this, that you get set in your ways. Um, mm. You can get set in your ways at any age. I think, and there has to be a certain level of continuing intellectual curiosity, you know, about learning and growing because we're not finished. You know, Mm -hmm. I've never been this age before. Listen, if I get in the time machine, I can rock 30. What? (laughs) I'm ready. Especially with everything you know now. Right, right. That's always the caveat. With everything I know now. So yeah, listen, high school, killing it. College, (laughs) I'm not even going to class. I'm not even going to class. (laughs) 
Okay. So all of this is new. Now you get to, I think, know yourself better. Mm -hmm. um, But you also have to extend that to other people. Are they getting to know themselves better? If, If someone has mentally sort of shut down and they're not doing stuff, that's not the dude for me. I need right. you to still want to travel and think and read and and process and and change your mind about something. Yeah, I haven't found anyone in their fifties that does that. I got I got I got the last one. <laughs> oh, you got one? You got one? I got, oh, that's right. My parents oh, made I saw a photo. Yes, I yes. saw that picture, Leanne, and I was like, when did this happen? Yes, girl. <laughs> Yes. When? Yes, hunting. We have been technically going out, going out for a year. Um, oh, lovely. But we were friends beforehand. Well, that's like, the thing. Yes. And it wasn't like with a, oh, I think there's a possibility. It, it was none of that. I didn't even see him that way. And he, I don't think he saw me that way either. We would just have these really rich conversations Mm. about Mm -hmm. everyday life or what we were going through we do have similar experiences he lost his mom but very early in life like at an age i can't even conceive like how do you lose your mom when you're 20 like what Mm. i'm i'm a mess and i'm grown but i clearly there's no good time for that and then he had lost his dad and he was always because i'm i was very public about you know my parents health and their illness and their decline and taking care of them and their death and, you know, so he would reach out to me and for whatever reason, I would honestly answer his questions. And that just built. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, we should go out for a drink. I said, yeah, we should. And then life happened. Like I wasn't I wasn't investing in it. And then I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, finally, we went out for a drink and we were I sat down the minute I sat down. Again, we had a prior relationship. We were, you know, chatting, get to know each other. I sat down and we started talking effortlessly. And I went. Huh. <laughs> it was literally like, because I was, I did not sit down with that expectation at all. I was just having a drink with a dude who I thought was cool. Um, and that's how it kinda, always starts, Leanne. Yeah, listen, <laughs> it, it was one of those. They came over. It's like, yeah, I know y'all having a good time, but we trying to close now. It's been oh, four hours. hours. They always do that. Okay. New York City be, and we just kept blocking. doing that. It does, and, and it, I, <laughs> I was set to just get another cat and be cat lady because I was not pleased with what's on offer here. Mm. Okay. You know, what what folks were bringing to the table or what they thought was acceptable. Like, how are you in your 50s talk about you still want kids? Like, sir, Oof. have you not done the math? <laughs> I mean, I, how, are you looking? Are you raising your caretaker? <laughs> no, seriously. Like, wow. what, what, what are they we are. practically Some of them doing? are. Yes. And I was not. And I was I, I, I won't say it here, but I was very honest about my age because I wanted to let you know. Yes, I'm in the dating pool. Baby factory closed. We not doing that. I'm not here for that. I'm just so glad that throughout most of my life, I've never had to have the baby question. So... <laughs> I I'm very thankful for that. However, if 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 had been approached to do that at any point in time, I would still say no, because it's not that's not where my makeup is. And 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 in in these you know prime years as we are now in, um, I can't afford to spend my time doing that now. I, and it's like and sadly, I have to be very very selfish right now. Because, yes. you know, my life is not where I want it to be per se. So, like, I, 
my selfishness now is not conducive for another person's, you know, <laughs> response. I can't be responsible for another human being at this particular oh, job. Right. You know, I, I, Keith, I don't know. Are you being selfish or just self-aware? I don't know. And being know. very, very, because there's some folks out here that do not know what they want. And we'll bring that to you like you're supposed to figure it out for them. And it's like, mm, this is this is the other side of grown folks for me, mm. like pa- past 40. Listen, you may not have giant house retirement fund, you know, some of those those capitalist benchmarks that I also question, because mm-hmm. how are you going to say we need this and then not set us up to win? But don't get me started. Um but what are you doing for yourself on a personal level? Do you have some sort of awareness? Do you know why your prior relationships didn't work? Right. Have you done the digging? Like, I know what my stuff was. I know what I did wrong. And mm-hmm. I own that. And I'm trying to consciously be better at that. That's what I think makes this work for us. Because he's been married too. We both went been around the block. We're, none, we're not, not 20. So we check in on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And for me, my main question for him and I like someone sent this to me and I wrote it down and I because, again, you have to be on the same page. And this happened to be mine. I actually said, um, here it is. Are, is there anyone in your life who is under the impression that they are in a romantic relationship with you? Because. <laughs> mm. Folks be like, well, I, I'm seeing somebody, but it's not serious. Or does she think it's serious? Like, I'm not trying to fight with nobody. I'm not trying to pull my hair back and put on Vaseline and take out my earrings. I'm tired. I'm not fighting for you, sir. <laughs> I don't fight for my cat. I'm not going to fight for you. <laughs> and not at this age, honey. You, no. Because the scratches, if you get a scratch now, honey, it don't just disappear no more like used to. You know, yeah, you're going to need off more than bike. Bass Tracing. <laughs> so I fell off butter. my bike last week. I, fa- I fell off the city bike. I was going on, I was on the electric city bike and they have a speed bump. Speaking of Harlem, right? They have some speed bumps that shouldn't be there. <laughs> and it was like a little speed bump that was just made for a bike. And um, I was, ch- so that when you make a right, you don't go into the crosswalk and mm-hmm. hit people, which is, I see that, but they got to make it so that you don't also fly <laughs> over that speed bump. <laughs> um, so, which I did. And then I fell. And then I was like, oh my God, I am not young anymore. This injury is going to take a while. This is going to be, you know, what's so funny about that fall this is such a New York moment. The woman who picked me up, the sister who picks me up, she was in her scrubs going to work. She picked me up. So I was, I got a nurse right at, right there. But then once this white couple came in and also helped, she was out. She was like, I got, <laughs> she was like, I got to go to work. You good? They I'm, got you. I'm glad you're I'm good. Sis. But I got still, you know, what? You, know, you know the drill, girl. You know how it is. New that's tag team assistance. <laughs> Isn't it? And she was like, you good? And a white couple, and I saw her, she was, she didn't even look back after that. And a white couple was like, do you need shade? Do you want to get in the shade? Like, <laughs> You got loving TLC, honey. This is what you got from the white people. They just guilty because they know that they charging up your, your whole neighborhood. That's why it was nice. And they're on vacation. Sister got to work. Exactly. But, uh, like, are you good because if you good i gotta go like i was yeah. walking down the street last week and my dress flew up and this woman cuts across two lanes of traffic and be like sis your dress is up and then she cut back two lanes and kept going i was like that's amazing that she thought it was like like it was now like I a am- men in black situation like she had to get there and tell me she, she was, was trying to preserve your modesty 
Do you have a full size bath to sit in? Like, are you able to Epsom soak it? Who me? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'm good. I, you know, it's it's. I think you can <gasps> kind of see my injuries. Ooh. Yeah, pretty nice elbows I mean, though. Yeah, thanks. You know, I, I'll be alright. This is this is part I'm of being. I'm just so glad a, it's not ashy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not ashy. I've never seen someone be like, look. <laughs> it's part of being a biker. I mean, my neck was a little bit like for a couple of days, but I know exercises and stuff. And it's also like, I was riding a city bike when I have a bike. So my bike was like, you should have known better. <laughs> Why are you cheating you on me? So um, you had a side piece bike. Marina. Open biking. <laughs> well, you know, I can't lie. my bike is really nice. I wouldn't show you, but my apartment is so cluttered right now. I'll show you real fast. Sort of. I think you could sort of see the bike over there. Look, Only. my place is like crazy right now. Because I worked out, but um, it's a really nice bike. I can't really lock it up, so I use the city bike to do fast stuff like you know, going to the doctors, going to the grocery store, Whole Foods, and stuff. And I was risking my, I mean, I went to the doctor on 61st Street, came all the way back up to Harlem, and then fell right in front of my house. (laughs) <laughs> and then you turned around and bike back to 60 Street. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like, was your bike sitting in the window doing like juju things to get each you? <laughs> it felt like it. But I, I, wanna, I wanted to go back to Leanne and, and say that, um, Leanne, I'm, you give me hope. I said this to someone and they got upset with me when I said they thought I was saying that they were uh, unattractive and they were giving me hope because they got I was like, no, no. I was like, we're of the same age. And it's nice to hear that someone of a certain age can still find love in a very genuinely good way. You know, like I I couldn't do I can't do the dating apps. I've considered it. It's just doesn't work for me. I've tried it. It doesn't. It's you know, right how men aren't aware of the ways in which they're not authentic on dating apps, but they have like, I don't like it when women are like this. And I'm like, it's funny how you don't speak with such confidence in person as you do. In <laughs> well, speaking well, it's from someone to who's social, that's true. <laughs> but speaking from someone who, you know, the, their not their existence is based upon the social apps. However, um, that is one of the resources of connection for folks, at least in my community, if I want to be all that way, um, because, you know, that's it kind of cuts down on the chase a little bit for us. And, you know, and we're, <laughs> we're sadly those people that, you know, once we hook up and then we can like establish that we can hook up, then we'll, we'll talk about friends or friends with benefits or, you know, you could be my potential next lover. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff comes after the fact sometimes. So, you, you know, so I don't necessarily poo-poo them, but at the same time, you're right about some of the misrepresentation because, you know, men are men. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm I'm 180. <laughs> I just think that like GI Joe's should have like relationships with like nice girls without huge breasts. So like like when there's some formulative point where men are used to just like talking to women as other humans. I don't know. Well, see, but that's the thing, the whole dating apps and everything, the chat rooms, like, you know, I come from a different generation. Well, we all come from the same generation of what was life before AOL, you know? And so, you know, you had to go to the bar if you wanted to meet people and it had to be a social kind of occasion. And yes, you went with your friends, but you know, if you met that one guy with your group, then it was like, you know, it was a whole thing. It's like, we don't have that anymore. It's like, we find out about people 
you know, as we look at their background picture, you know, making out in Paris, that's how we wind up finding out about something. You know what I'm saying? That's a great picture. I mean, yes. I have the calendar. Yeah. No, honey, that's the real deal. Don't hate. Celebrate. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you know the backstory, you know. Yeah, you've known was, me for what, a minute. You know, like this, this is fat, yeah. abulous. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't, <laughs> we, 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 it, it, it's not in that sphere for us. Like we still have to have a little bit of, there's got to be a conversation. There's got to be a connection. There's got to be something, something before I, it becomes this full blown, full bloomed experience, you know? I, I did the dating apps because I, that's where it was going. I'm not going yeah. to drive around and sit on bar stools within a 30 mile radius. Um, <laughs> I don't want to date at work anymore. No. Um, mm-hmm. Although if that's where you always are, I get it. No shade. Hey, I married in and I divorced out. You know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> you know, but I, I, the upside of dating apps is it, it, if nothing else, it should clarify for you who you are mm-hmm. and what you are looking for. Right. You know, so I again, I would say as an English major, it was hard for me because I'm not just reading profiles and proofreading i'm editing i'm sending in collections <laughs> you know it's there not there exactly. yeah like, like how you're, how you're, can you you're. be <laughs> and now how can you be a man of your word when so many of them are spelled wrong <laughs> you know i do think it's funny that spell check isn't necessarily about like knowing how to spell but like taking details thoughtfully, like, I mean, right. yeah. And that Matt, that's something like that matters to someone like me. Can you put your words together, sir? You know, I find that sexy. If you're not that dude, then I'm not your girl. And that's fine. No, you know, we, we can move on. So again, as a clarifier, um, I think it's helpful. What I found funny, well, it, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. My dude and I, we matched on Hinge before we were seeing each other Ooh. and he and he he missed he he we he saw me and he you know reached out he said hey this is funny and i'm like no no it's not and i left the app Ooh. i would not talk to him on hinge we were already we were having conversations in instagram messenger and that was fine because there we were friends hinge okay. had the implication that there's going to be something longer. romantic and dating and i could not handle that at all and look at you now. I know, right? But here's the thing. I was still dealing with my parents then. I did. Oh, yes. You weren't ready. I was yeah. still, and I had to honestly go back and go, I didn't, with everything that was going on in my life and trying to maintain a career, I didn't have room. How much did I have to offer someone? We're always looking at what somebody can offer you. What could I offer someone? Honestly, in terms of time and resources and affection, and I didn't have it, to be honest. Yeah. And who yeah. was I going to pull into this, you know, urban shady pines episode of my life? <laughs> I don't know. I struggle with vulnerability and I'm like perennially single, but I also struggle like because I have such an open personality. I think people don't think about how they approach me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel like I'm treated clumsily and I, I don't like it just I was raised probably in a different like my grandmother was so influential on my upbringing. So I feel like I have like a. 1950s view of things or 1960s view and so I can be like easily off put um but (laughs) I like myself and I even like I want to be in the experience of being fulfilled liked amplifying I think I have so many rich friends 
um, that just take me to love. So when I meet someone new who who is uncomfortable with just cherishing qualities or being lovely to someone, it, it, it makes it hard. I know, understand that people are weird on first impressions, but I don't know, sometimes I go in first dates and it just makes me feel unlovable. And I'm like, this is crazy because wow, it's just easier to hook up with someone than to like, I do understand that side, but I don't want to have a physical, I, like I want to feel, I want someone to match the love that I live within. I, I do not want to gloss over what you just said because not a lot of people can say it. You said, I like myself. Mm-hmm. A lot of people out here trying to find love or relationships or whatever, and they haven't started with, with numero uno. Do you like yourself? Yeah. That's, that is foundational. I'm not even saying, do you love yourself? People will blithely say that. Do you like you? Do you dig you? Do you, what is their cool that, that floats your boat for you? And I, I just had but one time to date somebody who didn't like me. They liked the idea of me. And if you've ever been with someone who doesn't actually really like you, it is sobering. And But it also can damage you. You're like, well, am I unlovable? What's, what's <laughs> happening? No, it's not a match. Get out. Get out. Yeah, run. Yeah. Run. <laughs> I like the echo on that because it's like you needed to hear it. <laughs> run. <laughs> Run, 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 run. Go to the light, baby. <laughs> it's, 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 that's what keeps the obsession with someone. You, uh, people can't get over when someone doesn't like them. Oh, I'm that, over it. That's the thing. They get obsessed <laughs> with that fact and they try to fix that. I've often said you can't fix people get into relationships. They talk about fixing relationships. No, fix yourself first. Can't yeah. get into a relationship and fix it. Fix yourself first. Because I used all to get, that stuff just drags in. Just okay, drag I'm about to be in. really sexist right now, but Uh-oh. I feel like when women break up, we deep dive, we get in books, we go into therapy, we got coloring books, we trying to, where did I go wrong? How could I improve myself for the next iteration of whatever's happening? Men break up on Monday, trying to hit it on Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, you can talk about Monday, Tuesday, girl. Monday evening. <laughs> Thank and you. Okay. So, <laughs> like, and I don't like. I don't like. Monday what's that thing they say? Don't like. I don't like women who do this. Like, it's just like a random statements about like what Wait, they don't like. Keep <laughs> said Monday evening. No, 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 we don't wait until the next day. Keep trying. Yeah. We're talking about hours. I'm sorry. That is incredibly sexist and judgmental. But I'm. <laughs> no, there's a vulnerability gap, though. In general, I would say, like, I mean, Ooh, a clearly, vulnerability like, my, gap. The, yeah, the absence of my father, like I, it's funny, I was aware of it slightly in college. And I only fully formulated, like I intentionally wanted to make male friends because I realized I didn't believe that men hurt because like the things that my father would do and like, it would just be very unkind. Like I wouldn't do that to a neighbor. I wouldn't do it to like a classmate and to like, just like, oh, I said I was going to do this, but I'm not going to show up. I'm going to show up for you. And then I'm never going to be like that level of like, trust falls and you just fall over time i was just unkind to guys and i don't know who was the reason um i remember i remember my first couple that i was like oh my gosh i love the the presentation of that was otis moss the third and his wife um but i didn't end up going to like spelman and meeting a guy like i didn't do like they, they had like a we met at love for first sight but they also came from like families that like gave them tools but i was like i have to have male friends because my husband's going to be my friend. Uh, I think I'm clear on it now in a way that I wasn't before, but I 
all my male friendships right now are about healing the memory, removing, like I, there's an absolute truth I give my father on like how I'm, what my worth is. And I've had so many interactions with men that like prove that point. And there's some, like, I have a godfather at this point in my life who is not that, who is loving, who says like, I'm so excited. I'm showing up. I'm here. I thought about you, like just checking in. Thank you for that. Like just says normal things. And Mm -hmm. so now that I believe that men have vulnerability and are capable of love, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting someone who's living in that truth. But I think a lot of guys live, especially if you're black, I don't think you have the room as a man all the time Mm -hmm. to go. But I feel like if you're one-on-one with someone, you got to do like a, a trust lean if not a dress fall just to to show because I'm like I I just I do have a rich full life like I'm not looking for someone to complete it I'm looking to like have an end of day I'm, I'm I, I like not leaving my house I want to have everything I leave for have it at home that's and so nice like, I don't know that's what I'm thinking about I'm, I'm sorry honey when is your workshop in your TED talk, the intentionality <laughs> of how you are moving through the world is just incredibly inspirational to me. Yeah. Well, I will say it just is unfortunate, especially when I, I uh, I'm trying to make sure I say everything appropriately because uh, I'm, I'm someone who should never be on the record, but I will say that <laughs> having interacted with the darkness that coincides with Hollywood. I'm like, what if you just live within love for a moment? Like, I get that I'm triggering someone you met in fifth grade that mm-hmm. upsets you. But like, what if that person could give you love? Like, what? how could we exist from that place? And I feel like if you can just be the exchange in someone's life that makes them believe in love a little bit, you've done a good day. And I think mm-hmm. that it's important to like, sometimes, especially with this Trump era and, and wondering if America's real and all this stuff, like how in a local level can you make love realistic how can Mm. you make it alluring and like and i think that's something like very little like the lady that crossed two lanes to say that your dress is flying up she made me believe that like i should look great like someone believes that i should look great (laughs) desperately (laughs) and the white couple that said do you need to be in the shade said uh, yeah someone believes that you're lovable yeah Oh, I love that because I was, I was, of course, as my comic mind, I, as I was listening to you, all I could think of was my dad. I go, my dad was a hoe, so I was a hoe. <laughs> that's, 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 I know that's, I, Leanne brought, got so much more from that than I, I was sitting here going, my dad was such a hoe. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's true. That's true, too. Yeah, my dad was a hoe, but he was a very loving hoe. Oh, my and dad was so, a loving hoe too. Yeah, and so you know, I have come to grips with that particular aspect of, you know, the things that I've learned about my father. But but at the same time, there is something to that because even as a gay man, the relationship that you have with your father or with your brothers or with your uncles, it really does affect the kinds of relationships that you wind up either seeking or wind up finding yourself involved in because your subconscious keeps you in that mindset of when you were dealing with those particular people, you find folks that kind of jive in that place subconsciously. And so it's the same, like, you know, I've always known that, you know, that's always been the the joke about, you know, as the daughter not ending up on the pole because of the father issues. It's sort of like, it's the same thing. <laughs> Sadly, we, <laughs> that's true. We, we, we look for a lot more poles in our scene. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Hi. But maybe- <laughs> it's the different roles of poles yeah. that we roll on, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. Pansexual, pangender, daddy issues. I'm glad you bring this up. I do want to go to this article, not to be like, you know, everyone's promiscuous and getting monkeypox, but um, how is that affecting the the community? Because I know that it seems weird that all the articles are making it about it being the gay community. Exactly. And I, I don't. I don't want to do that, but I do want to ask what conversations are going on amongst your community about monkeypox. Well, sadly, they're not calling to talk to me, so I have to like infer. <laughs> I want you to be the, the great and mighty Oz of gayness. However, what I can tell you is, I'm sorry, what I can tell you is, is that the conversation is one that it's not, it's, you know, it's, Trying to make it like a gay disease energy is really kind of, you know, a new level of effed upness, you know, because, yes. again, if you pass by anybody and they got it and they rubbing their skin up onto you, it's on you as well. So it's not about who and how and what. It's a matter of trying to make it something that it really isn't. The other side to that is. It has curbed a lot of behavior amongst some of my friends because, you know, even you know, even in the hoest of hoes, you know, we're we're still slow in our role because, you know, you don't want to end up having to get something like that and, be, you know, and and become, you know, a typhoid Mary of your own. Like, that's certainly not what you want to have. But what I find fascinating is, is that whatever the disease itself is, when you see it and the people talk about how painful it is, it's like, how then are you somebody that has that kind of pain, walk it out and then going and being sexually active? Like what kind of masochist are you? Like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to really think long and hard about that. And then when you're there, like, are you looking at the person to make sure that perhaps that they, you know, not filled with calamine lotion, you know what I mean? Like, Come on now, I'm not the only one. Am no, I not? Very, We're from the same generation. Um, you but, remember chicken pox and how they had to put that pink shit on you and it would just dry and cake up and you're like, I don't understand how this is Hopefully working. Hopefully people put like, a calamine. It's like the, but I feel like it's, you're making it sound like a um, confederate flag. Like just so we know. <laughs> But it's it's not our fault, you know, per se. It's just every but, community has every community has their own hose. Do you and have so, pause though? Because I'm like, how is COVID handled? And then like we still don't I mean and then like, oh we don't know what to do. Like I just it just it makes me irate, specifically because I want to be great at my craft. I was watching right. the Howard documentary and I was like, because this person was homosexual. We lost him. Like that was the, it wasn't because they couldn't figure out the disease or manage it. It was just like, oh, he's gay. And then like yep. push him to the side. And, and as a person who wants to be good at craft, all my greatest teachers have been allowed to die. So, mm-hmm. and, and the ramifications for Disney in terms of business, like the reason that films were never as good as Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid is that they let the genius die because they just didn't want to like, they didn't want to present him. And I feel like, yeah, and I feel like that's just horrible. Like we should be thinking about how connected we are and like how important it is to preserve everyone um, and not just rationing it based on identity. Because it just every time I see something, I wish I could learn how to write. I can't ask that person because because they're not here. Yeah. And it was a pan. It was a pandemic. And just even now we're normalizing it. And and if even I mean. I hate that COVID solves so quickly because I'm like, you can solve other things quickly. But like at the same time, we're not living with pause. We haven't learned how to grieve any better. We haven't learned how to live in a different way. Like culture 
doesn't present presence with what's happening. And so you could be alive. Like now I'm like, oh, you could be alive in the 80s and not care about AIDS because we live now and we're not caring. So like if there's a new opportunity to be better at what was wrong before. No, I we've mean, learned nothing. <laughs> I don't want a monkeypox oh, blanket. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's so ridiculous. <laughs> monkeypox. What are we, Native Americans? Stop it now. Um, I always say the home, the unhoused individual on the number two train could probably take time out to give more memorial than our government has to what just happened. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I say unhoused because you're supposed to say that instead of homeless. Okay. Well, actually, why is that? I, I, I know language I is know. always shifting, but I feel like they they play games with words and not actions that. Well, yeah, that that make it softer or more palatable yeah. to someone's ear and I'm not sure who. Homeless is well, urgent to me. Well, yes, to me too. The, the unhoused is, they have that so that the housed <laughs> don't feel guilty about not being unhoused. You see what I'm saying? Whereas if you say homeless, then you're striking right at the core of the problem. And it's like, these people don't have a home to live in. <laughs> like, What about that biblical term, indigent? Remember that word, indigent? Yes. Yeah. I wonder what happened but that, to that word. But white people appropriated that one. And so <laughs> it's too, they don't want us using that one anymore. <sighs> but I, back I, to the, uh, the monkey pot, because I, I do think yeah. that it is a saddest thing when you can't get vaccines appropriately. Right. Like what I mean, like we haven't learned anything. Like we went through a pandemic where we had sites for vaccinations mm -hmm. crashing. And well, now we see, have monkeypox and the same thing happened again. But see, here's here's the difference is that if you label this as something that's happening to the gay community, exactly, then then you don't have the sense of urgency to get anything done because you're mm -hmm. like, well, it's, you know, not for nothing. We're still the, the fags are dying. So we don't have or, you know, the fags are getting the itchy skin. So we don't have to worry about us because we don't engage in their behavior. Like it goes back to that kind of thinking. There are no it's, those people, but we keep making decisions and purporting news about those people versus well, about us. those people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah. but 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 that's the experience. And so, you know, it's easy to separate the general populace with just that mindset. And so that's I, what's kind of happening. And and sadly, it's going to be like with, you know, <laughs> with the other diseases, like when Nana and Papa start dropping dead and when, you know, healthy so-and-sos wind up getting it, then all of a sudden it's going to be a conversation that we all as a country need to have. The Rock Hudson but, will die. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, but Brad Pitt gets it. You know? Yeah, like the difference between um, crack and uh, meth. Exactly. Right? Or, yeah. And then suddenly crack, now we all care and, about and it. And opioids. Opioids. Opioids is what I was reaching for. This this very much reminds me of that moment um, during the pandemic when they the, the numbers were clear that, you know, people of color, black communities were more affected. Mm -hmm. by COVID. And I remember when I heard that, I'm like, please don't say that because now they're going to take it less seriously. They're, gonna, mm -hmm. they're not going to care because I know where I live. I live in America and that's how America does. Yep. Um, and so we we are, again, meeting that moment in the same way. And Keith, I think there's there's a step in between. If it's, it's primarily affecting one community that's not your community, uh, mm -hmm. when it crosses over in any way, what that will provoke is violence. Mm -hmm. Because look what y'all brought here. It's going to get blamed. Mm -hmm. And and how do we how do we stop disease by beating up the people who have it? What? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, because that's how we do. That's how we do. And I shouldn't well, even say we, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean again, the Vikings. Where we, many of us were very much alive during, you know, setting people's houses on fire when they found out that they had HIV in the house because one of the kids had a blood transfusion. Like when it got to that level of ridiculousness, we saw that, and that's we're you know we're walking that line sort of now, and it's worse because. It's being broadcast as such. Like, this is something mm-hmm. that seems to be with men who have sex with men. This seems to be the issue. And it's like, okay, you know, you're going to rub up against your coworker that didn't tell you. You know, it's like <laughs> you're going to get get the shingles one day and they, wonder they, why. They do oh, not talk about how you can athletes get... Athletes will be rubbing against each other. Exactly. But they you don't know. talk about the specifics of how you can get monkeypox. They haven't really gone into that. They ha- This story really shows um, how someone was in a lot of pain and, mm-hmm. and what it is. And like, you do need to understand the specifics of what this disease is. And they don't seem like... But also, why, why would you call it monkeypox if you wanted to take it seriously? Well, that's... I don't, who, who gave it that name? Cocoa pox. Like, I feel like it's just like, it's out there. Well, I mean, at this point now, it is, it's out there, but someone, I like to take that and then you add that to it's men sleeping with men. And you know, it's like, it's a combination of a whole lot of ugly. You know? But I just and, feel like we should do what we did with the pandemic is you had a briefing. You had like, I mean, you know, Governor oh, Cuomo oh. is awful, but I will say this part of it, not all of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm not condoning what he did, but he did a pretty good job of disseminating the information amongst New Yorkers about what COVID was doing, the numbers, why we can't always have like something like that available to us. I don't understand. Like no, readily the, doctor, the doctor guy. Who's the doctor guy that's in DC? Fauci? Yeah. Is he- yeah. He's not doing it anymore. He got COVID and he out. Like, it's like, well, I mean, I think the simple he- answer is not enough people are dying and nobody wants right. to hear this. People right. are are fatigued. I don't know what that means because the virus don't take no vacation. But okay. None. Well, I find f- what's fascinating is, is that, again, we're still in the age of this, like here in New York, we're like at one of the highest rates now of this COVID en- energy. Of course. And I work in one of the places that I'm working is inside a Broadway theater where half, if not all of the patrons are not masked. There's like mm-hmm. the, the numbers are still there because they've allowed them to be able to come in unmasked. Mm-hmm. We, of course, have to keep masked and keep getting tested every week. But like what's so weird is it's like this is one of the reasons how the disease spreads. But because people have whined about, you know, having a mask on, it's this is the reason why we're walking around having this issue. And it's like the monkeypox thing is something that can be controlled right now if we choose to act as such. But right now we're just going to wait to see until it gets to the debutantes on the Upper East Side before we'll see something happen because that's when we'll know that there's an issue. Well, you know? it should like, happen soon because their kids are sexually uncomplex. So, like, if everybody's open to exploring their whole um, Kinsey scale, it shouldn't yeah. be considered contained at this point. Like, True if that, teenagers it, are active, sexually active sooner and they're, they're open to exploring where yeah. they fall, shouldn't it be more terrifying? Well, yeah, I you're guess right. so. But, I mean, you know, again, if you're the person that has it <laughs> and you're talking about how painful it is, and you're still going out and having some sort of contact with other people sexually, 
then there's the disease spread is gonna it's, well, it's I, more from the mindset of somebody else versus we need you know, sex toys donated to people with smallpox i mean <laughs> small, sorry maybe with the monkeypox monkey yeah so that they don't go out and, and i mean you know but the solution ultimately in the end is is that everybody has to be very aware of who they are what they are and what they're carrying themselves and it's like you know i you know, fortunately for me, I've had to curb any kind of wild clandestine behavior. So I, <laughs> you know, so I, I don't worry about the monkeypox situation per se, because I'm not in a position or situations where I would be vulnerable and open to that outside of everybody else walking through the city. You know what I mean? So like, I try not to let people bump into me because <laughs> like, I don't know where you are in your day. You know, you wear long sleeve like, shirts. Yeah. A lot of times when I'm out. Yes. So, so shaking hands, should we be shaking hands? With you can if you remember, to, if you should remember to. Not to even with COVID, cleanse. to be honest. I mean, like. I always but, wash. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, it's amazing to me how many people react to me when I give them the fist bump instead of a shaky yes. open hand. Yeah. I do both. Yeah. People still look at me like I'm crazy for doing yeah. that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, or, I don't, or if you walk in wearing a mask, it's like, oh, like, I'm wearing a mask yeah. all the time. And yes. I still get like these looks. People go, come on, Marina, really? Yeah. And I go, what, yeah, did, really? what is my choice? You know, this is like with people who wear, I, I now understand how, you know, um, people who wear turbans, people who wear, um, I forgot the name of it. What is it? The hijab. How they feel. Because it's my, and that's a religion, right? Mm -hmm. And people still have, what does someone's religion have to do with you? Or someone's choice of wardrobe or mask or however they feel have to do with you. And it's it's broken down to the, the mask to me has been the only thing that has kept me from getting COVID thus far. Now I could, I could get it. I know, you know, knock on wood, but you know, it seems to work. Well, how about just taking into consideration? I don't know about you guys, but for the last like two or so years that we've kind of been in this mask, unmasked, mask situation, I've stayed pretty much masked and I have yet to get a cold. And so it's like, you know, just the, for the logic sense of not even having a cold, makes me want to keep the mask on. So if the mask can keep away the common cold energy for me, then I'm I'm not going to sweat this other thing because I'm vaxxed, I'm double boosted. If I need to get a third booster, I will. You know, I was like, I, I'm not willing to play with that because that COVID stuff now is because it's constantly changing is even more possibly more dangerous. And so like, I'm, I'm just not going to let myself fall down to that because other people want to walk around and, and be, you know, disease breeders. And it's like, this, this is where we are now. And it's scary because I walk into a comic club, the whole audience looks at me like I'm crazy for wearing a mask and they're inside. And they're inside. Do you wear a mask on stage? I don't, but sometimes I play with the audience. I, that's, I call it a measured risk. Uh Uh-huh. Where well, I'm making a, money. There's a little bit of distance between you. I'm like, if I if I'm making money and on the stage, I take off the mask. That's the only question. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was like, if I catch it here, well, there was the risk, you know. Yeah, but I made my money. But the thing is, I immediately put it back on. Sometimes I walk on stage, I'll have the mask on. And I'll start talking in the microphone and I'll joke with the audience. I go, you thought it's going to be their kind of comic. The mask wearing comic. It's a, it surprises to me that no one is 
has has decided to be that comic who's talking with the mascot. I think they would you have to be very unpopular. Maybe but, not here. I don't know. No, I think your jokes would have to work with like you'd have to have like a hamburger energy. Like the jokes would yeah, have to you have, have strong yeah. material word wise. <laughs> Because um, I know my material w- works. If I'm not facially into it, <laughs> woo. Um, it was just my eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah, just how I do. That's when I find out the jokes that are written well <laughs> enough. Um, so let's go to Pest in the City since we're talking about the city and, mm. you know, Harlem as a community, which I, I love that you love, Jenna. City Council member Sandy Nurse, oh, I cannot say this name, she also and Sean Abreu introduced their rat action plan last Thursday in an effort to reduce rat population in New York City. According to preliminary data, the highest population of rats are in Brooklyn, Upper Manhattan, and the Bronx. The legislation includes requiring rodent-proof receptacles for infested buildings, giving penalties to those who do not store waste properly and more. Additionally, frequent reports of rat infestations in communities of color point to broader social issues. Rat reports have also increased as services have been reduced in the city, only furthered by the onset of the pandemic. Replacing plastic bags with organic alternatives could help reduce rat infestations, but the biggest change will come from actually investing in communities and making sure property owners that rent their buildings make efforts to maintain them. And this was in the Amsterdam News, Tandy Law, which I love is the oldest Black-owned newspaper, Mm -hmm. Amsterdam News, and I'm loving that they put this article out here because... You know, it's our story. So what say you? I mean, I see rats now. Oh, my God. In Harlem, everywhere, I see people eating outside. I'm amazed because I see the rats, like, also eating outside with them. <laughs> it's so a two-for-one deal. The dining al fresco. Two-for-one. <laughs> Buy one, get one. <laughs> I love it, though. They're dining al fresco. So. Yeah, there's, there's so much outdoor seating. I, well, I will say, so this may be me sounding hokey. Uh, and I'm open to it. But I I have a memory of there not being as many rats prior to that torrential summer rain. Like it was like floody kind of rain in June, July. And then mm-hmm. I felt like it was a new breed of rat that like just enjoyed like running. Like it didn't even eat trash. Like it just would play in the hubcaps, <laughs> like run around, play with the tires, sometimes get in people's cars. And then it would go, Then it, like it was like dozens of them. So it wasn't even like similar to previous years where there'd be like one there, one there. It was like the definitive rat pack where there were like a dozen rats just running along the street. So I was wondering if anyone's even looked into like these, like when it was flooding, did they just float from like upstate? And so they're like country rats. (laughs) I don't know how the city supposed to work. And so like the poison doesn't even work on them. Or am I thinking too hard? Like, <laughs> Wait, so the country rats come to the city and just go crazy on the, they don't the, the know tires because they out <laughs> on the town for the first time. They were playing with hubcaps. Like I'm like, why are the trash is right there? And they were just like, oh, like they were. <laughs> I did see a person's car stall, and then I went into the CVS, and then I came out. And I saw the reason. And this woman goes, well, there's your problem. There's the rat right there in the in the hood of the car. Ooh. And the dog, which was sitting there, was like, Ew! the dog was even freaked out. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that what's going on, this is my opinion. 
is all of these outdoor restaurants with these Ooh. extended parts partitions that have been made for COVID is also bringing the rats further out. And a lot of these restaurants, you know, people know that I war against the restaurant that's right underneath my building, quite honestly, all the time. Everyone who's listening to this knows that I'm not over and I am winning the war against them. But still... I hope it's not a restaurant that I like. I hope I'm not a part of the problem. I'm sorry. I don't want to say the know, name. Like, on the record. Yeah. I will I, I will email you later. Okay. But, um, oh, loop, loop. You, BCC me, please. Okay. I will, yes. but I will say that uh, a lot of these businesses... I want to support, but not when they don't care about the community. Mm -hmm. This is my problem, right? And I watch the way they put away their trash. I, I watch the way they clean up behind. And it's it's horrible. And mm -hmm. so now that they've passed this legislation about dealing with um, rat infestation, it's going to really help people who live above restaurants mm -hmm. to monitor their business and hold them accountable for being a part of the community. Well, there's some rat resistant bags that people could be using. I think my super hasn't switched over yet, but like half the block doesn't have rats anymore because they use the bags with a specific coating. So, oh. yeah. So I just feel like it's, where, are, where are those bags? I will ask my block captain and tell you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You block have a block captain. That captain. sounds official. She is official. I need to be a block captain. I got people that live on the block. Oh, we ain't got no leader. There's a Sunday reply all that happens to keep things black and in order. Yeah. All right now. I like it. It's like they're running their own little um, Black Panther y energy on that side. I, the bougie lights. Panthers and the bougie Panthers. Yeah. <laughs> bougie I do. Panthers. I do feel like this is where living out in the Shire might have its advantages because. That's yeah, you don't it's have not that. a thing, at least not in my part of Queens. I, I think what's more likely for for us is to see a raccoon. And these dudes, these these dudes are big and like you don't want no kind of conversation, no kind of truck, nothing. They're knights of rascals, yeah. Yes. Listen, they I saw a dude, a, a, a ra raccoon walking and I froze and he he literally looked like, yo, I just got off work. I just want to get home, <laughs> put my feet up. <laughs> and I just, I was like, I ain't not moving. I'm not saying anything. You can be about your way, sir. I see you. Please keep it moving. <laughs> my favorite raccoon story is I was staying in a friend's, I was at my friend Yvonne's and she lives in uh, Forest Hills and there's a, you know, a modest backyard with an alleyway and just trees, kind of the nice places, you know, not thinking anything. So I'm sitting on the back porch talking on the phone and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this thing jumped up on top of the, what are the, 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 the rails that are like next to each other that are connected, jumped right on top of the rail and stood up on its two feet and was like looking at me. And I freaked out because I thought it was like an alien. <laughs> Because I had never seen that before. If you had not seen my big fat ass jump up out of that chair and jump back into that house. Let me tell you something. I, if there was a record to have been had, I know that I did it because I have Honey, I was like, you didn't even open the door. It's just a, a, a size of you imprint running through the door like it's a cartoon. I was like, I have never in my life seen anything like that. Yeah, they, it was like, they're it very intimidating. 
And it was like, okay, so yeah, raccoons, you know. Well, it's funny, my favorite Harlem memory of like, there's a sketchy block in between like my my block. Like there's a, if I go to 8th Avenue, I have to cut across this block where it's always unkempt. And I was like, didn't want to do it. They don't have a block captain. They don't have a block captain. (laughs) And so I'm walking and this guy looks sketchy. Like if, if someone were to be intimidated by, like it's just the way he looks. And I was like worried, but he passed me and he like kept walking and then a rat came at him. And he not only like he squeals and he like Jordan jumps in the air. And I was like, there's no need to be scared of this man. And he's like, you saw it though, right? You saw it, right? You saw that? You saw that rat? And I was like, yes, I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. (laughs) I do have to read this. The presence of rats is an indicator for disinvestment in cities and communities. If you look at where rat sightings are in the city and if you overlay that with neighborhoods that have suffered a severe rent increase in the past year, you see that neighborhoods that have high rent stress are also the neighborhoods where there are high incidents of rat reports. And no shoveling in the winter. Mm-hmm. Wow. What do you mean no I mean, shoveling you know. in the winter? Oh, you mean they're not coming through and doing the streets? Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny because was, I was saying to a friend who did, he, like, I can be extreme, but I meant it non-extremely. And I was like, it's a whole new level. Like, I passed by, like, a Ralph Lauren family. He's like, well, there's always people with money here. And I was like, no, this is different. Like, this woman, it was like, she was like a Lily Pulitzer style white woman with her blonde kids. And they were like just skipping around. And mind you, current Harlem is, has a huge like drug pandemic happening. Like yes. it's bleak because of COVID. And it's kind of like that scene in men in black when Will shoots the right little girl, the white little girl in that night scene. Cause it, she doesn't make sense in the neighborhood. That's mm-hmm. what happened. And I was like, it's just, it looks like there's an intent as to why everything's going wrong. And he's like, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he goes to 125th and he sees like dozens of little white ladies with their expensive little bags strolling like like it's Fifth mm-hmm. Avenue. But it was like 125th between 7th and 8th. And, I'm, and it was like they can see the future. They're choosing not to see like they're wearing like future goggles. And mm-hmm. I was like, it, he was like, you're right. Like these aren't just like white people. Because I think like, it used to be poor people, like people who can't afford to live downtown. So they're going to make Harlem work for them. Now yeah. it's people who can afford to live downtown who just like. You know what? I want I want that Dutch land back. Um, and it's like, shoot, I'm, I'm not going to take the time to join the city council. I have friends who are on the board. The I have. Board. I've been on. Oh, you do? Yeah. I've been presenting in front of that community board. Yeah. But I'm like, but it's funny. Who are your friends? Uh, he's so I mean, involved. you don't have to say yeah, 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 no, no, kind no. Of like, no, but it's good to know that, I've, that they're black people that do it too because I met someone who's like, yeah, I just moved to Harlem and, and I, I've joined the community board and I was, it was a white person. I was like, no one told me when I moved here to join the Like, it just was like, that's not how I they, think. They yeah, vote them in. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, the community board is strategically made up well, Leanne is really frozen in a funny way, huh? Can you guys <laughs> see that? Yeah. <laughs> Leanne, are you there? Can you hear us? Oh, there she is. Nope. I'm, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sorry about that. But the uh, community board historically was meant to support the businesses. That's what I learned over the time that I've spent trying to figure out why exactly things aren't being done on my block the way they are. Well, they did bring alcohol and, to Harlem. I guess that's one thing they did. So, yeah. and But they do support businesses. So community board doesn't sound like it's, it isn't designed to be community. really for the community. Oh. It's for the businesses, really. And now they voted some new younger people into the community board. And sometimes the people in the community board are restaurant owners and they have their own interests. 
at mind. And so it's all political. So that's why the, the, the rap problem can point to some political problems that it could shine a light on who's not doing whose job and who's not really like, you know, we have Mayor Adams who just tried to pass some leg- um, a budget bill without, you know, supporting our schools. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, there was no trans. Winner, isn't he? <laughs> well, there was no transparency on that, and so a lot of the the, the parents are like, "Hey, hey, hey, ho, ho, what you doing? What you doing? Like, you want to talk about mental illness? You don't pull from the schools. You want to talk about gun violence? You don't pull from the schools. So you you got to be transparent. We all know there's a budget crisis, but you got to be transparent. So people do understand what they're fighting for, what they're losing. But also to like not be silent. Like, cause that's the other thing. Like I was having this conversation in a coffee shop. So I was like, Oh, you don't want to say this openly. And like, I was like, no, if my conversation makes someone uncomfortable, then we're ev- evening the playing field. Like I shouldn't have to be silent. If you say like, Oh, so sad that these people had their land stolen or my family used to have this land. They don't have anymore. Like, like you, you shouldn't be complicit in making someone feel comfortable removing something that people have worked hard for. Cause I've, I've listened to the restaurant owners make complaints or say like, just because I'm not black. And I was like, true. But just because someone is black, they can't get the same loan you can. Like just because someone is black, they can't get an extra month from the landlord. So mm-hmm. like, just also like not saying in an accusatory way, but like not taking away the veracity of someone else's point of view. Because I think that a lot of people are comfortable making certain movements because they're never they feel they're never made to feel uncomfortable or question. Well, they just showed how many black individual like white men get most of the business loans. Like, I think it was like 96 percent. Yeah. And they look at black owners as a handout. That's how they are philanthropy, not an actual real investment. I was literally at a restaurant opening and someone was saying about about, talking about it. And I was like in a weird way being like, I work hard. And I was like, I bet you do. (sighs) But I bet you didn't know that (laughs) there were tons of black restaurants, et cetera, before you. And it wasn't for lack of working hard. Like. There's something about honoring another person's experience. There's a documentary on Netflix, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, Harvard educated brother, and it's called Who We Are. And he makes the case for the fact that in the broad strokes, America has done amazing things around the world and and within its own borders. And it is also one of the most racist countries in the world. These two things can exist. Mm -hmm. in the same space one does not negate the other um and talking about yes that your your family worked hard yes but did you know that we were denied loans we was redlining it doesn't matter what level of education that you have we out here working hard and have roadblocks institutionally placed in our path that they do not and with the reduction of even teaching basic history like it sounds like we're not even gonna get mlk harriet tubman and and john and 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 the crazy co- white the copper man yeah like, yeah. like, like we're not even gonna get that yeah. like, nope. because it, the, your, this history your real history makes you uncomfortable well it makes me really irate i i personally love reciting great american speeches because it gives context to moments that don't get context regardless of the ethnicity being addressed but like also just 
I don't, I'm someone who actually enjoys slave movies. Um, and it's not like, oh, I love it. I do thought, find Chiwetel sexy as fuck in that scene when this friend dies oh. and he's just singing like slave songs. And he's so sad about slavery. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I love that black pain. Uh, but I also <laughs> feel, the, on the other side, it just reminds me that like I shouldn't feel ashamed. The oppressor should feel ashamed. And I How should remember that? like what I can endure. Like I, I see it in that flex. But also, for instance, I was walking down the street and this person was uh, was African and they were a vendor and I wrote on Run the World and they were saying, yeah, I love your show, but it's not real. And I said, I want you to pause on that because there's something about negating black prosperity that is important to you. And that level of importance that you keep allows back poverty to exist. And I say, for instance, this is something I didn't know that. And I said this to her, like I just learned when I went to my friend's wedding in Birmingham that four little girls and also there were some boys that were killed that day too. But the four little girls, that church where they were killed is the equivalent of, of bombing Abyssinian Baptist church. Yep. And that's a mm-hmm. specific move. Like when we talk about they, the, when they, where they bombed in Tulsa, it wasn't the projects. It was black wealth. And so when you, mm-hmm. like, there's something about also honoring that there, there, there have been so many strides, like there were miraculous movements out of poverty that African-Americans have made. There are things mm-hmm. that should make black people wealthy. Stoplights. Like if we were, if we got a stoplight credit because we created it, our lives would be totally different. Like, but, but there's this what? obsession with like, even us internalizing that we are worth the way we've been treated and the way we've been treated is our truth. That if you, in every little aspect, like just something as simple as affirming the right of a black business person to create, to rebound what Harlem was after the 90s, to create a space where young black professionals came back and created a a class diversity that allows the neighborhood to stay black. And they do this. And then in the 2000s, someone else benefits from someone you know, working in a neighborhood that was crime ridden and and was hard to attract business. And, you know, for instance, I didn't know that you pay the same fees as a restaurant owner for outdoor cafe. They do it by square foot. So like someone downtown will only have like, I don't know my feet that well, but like say they only have like a couple a yard of of seating. And because Harlem blocks are wider, you end up paying more for sidewalk cafes up here. So for the black owned businesses that couldn't, that only had Carver Bank to loan to them, like they worked very hard and then their rent skyrocketed. And there's no tax mm-hmm. credit for being like a forerunner to, to actually like building a neighborhood back up. Mm. So, mm. you know, but just from the, you know, pulling it back from a historical context, it's, it's always been that these particular hurdles and roadblocks were put up against Black folks, of course, historically here. And even in spite of those um, hurdles and stuff, we managed to create an entire environment, create an entire industry, create all of these things. And because we were able to do that in spite of that, they've got, you know, they they bombed Tulsa. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you set up the parameters in which you were going to fuck us over. Then you're mad that we didn't get completely fucked over. And since we, you know, are still thriving and moving and growing, you've decided that you're going to squash that from the very beginning. And it's like, and historically, that's a really hard pill to swallow. If your grandfather was the guy who was flying the plane over Tulsa, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that your grandfather was a real piece of shit. I'm sorry that that's what's wrong with you. However, you need to face that fact so that you don't continue to that tradition. And it's like, you know, it's like <laughs> the big fear is, you know, as they become minorities in this country, the big fear is, is that they're going to be treated the same way that they've treated other people out in this world. And it's like, so that means you have to acknowledge that you're treating these other people badly. So why then, if you're acknowledging that that's a possibility, why don't you change that trend? And the change, the change has to come from them. And they don't, you know, as a group, they don't want to change. Have private conversations amongst yourselves about how your first memory of being white. Yes. Like, instead of asking anyone else about, like, their first racial experience as a black person, ask mm-hmm. amongst yourselves, what's your first racial... Like, I I watched someone pull their kid away from me, and I look like I went to private school. Like, I look like a polished black person. And, I'm like, you trained your kid at five to... And I was, like, halfway... Like, I wasn't close. I was two houses down. But, like, mm-hmm. don't get close to that black person. Like, this kid has been t- is being actively trained to be uncomfortable and on guard mm-hmm. when they see right. it. But also to what you're saying, you're also making me realize that like bombs are now digital. Bombs are now fees. Bombs are now like capitalism and, and like rules. And so also being very clear, like in the age where we don't need, we can just hack somebody. We can just fee somebody. Like, are you being present on where you stand in, mm-hmm. in this type yes. of I don't know, moment? It's, it's a very zero sum game that they play that if you win anything, somehow they have lost. And that, that generates this, this fear and this justification for this fight that they're having. And it's like, honestly, y'all, th- listen, there's 12% of us. Let's be generous. 13. We can't take all the jobs. But they're propaganda that's out the there. One black person in your office is not why you didn't get hired. <laughs> but they get, they're getting fed. They're getting. They're getting fed information that is false, and then they're also kept dumb. Mm, I mean, right. that's part of the American strategy. If you keep it's them key, dumb, and if you show dumb. them that you know they're better than black people, then they'll think, "Oh, I'm okay. I can still make it." I, they they buy into yeah. this American dream that's not really even available to them. Racism you know? is not advantageous for even white people. They don't exactly. even understand that. They don't get and and the part that for me that I really have a hard time with is they don't understand as a group that in the end. The benefits and fights that things that would actually come to to people of color, to the, you know, women, the rights. It's like those are rights that you can choose to enjoy if you want to. Or you could just cop out and not have to be bothered with it. But the fact of the matter is you can't deny other people their rights because you have a personal issue with it. It's not about you. It's not none of these things are about you. However, it's because of you and your ancestors that we're having this constant debate all the time because you refuse to acknowledge that you come from really awful people. That's what I talk about Texas all the time. It's like we're celebrating Juneteenth, Juneteenth, Juneteenth. Let us remind you that the reason that we're celebrating Juneteenth is because the people of Texas decided to wait two and a half years later to tell slaves that they were free in order to keep them as slaves. So when you think that that's the mentality of those people, that that's the DNA that people from Texas come from. And then you're, you're surprised, you know, 150, 175 years later that they're acting the way that they are, then you're just being naive. And the fact is, is because nobody has called them out on their history. And since they're not being called out on their history and they're playing the, oh, but it makes us feel bad. It's like, well, you should feel bad. 
because you come from people that enslaved other human beings. And they and should be angry. Sh- and you and exactly. And as I saw this, this guy brought it up. He says, but in that time period, there were white abolitionists. You know, they were working very hard to try to end slavery. So there are a few. Yeah, good, but there, there are a few, a few of them ones. that you can count them. Like I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but I, I, know, I, saw, I saw that, that interview. That was Ibrahim X. Kendi, who wrote the book yeah. Anti-Racism. He's like, y'all are worried about kids feeling bad. Why not show them who they could feel good about? Good about. And also feel inspired to correct it. Like, be like, treat the isms like it's like inventing the light bulb. Be like, we can still crack it. Like, you know, be inspired to to change it versus to To be change it. Wait, but I do want to say this. I don't want to have Juneteenth with black people who aren't from Texas or who just discovered their blackness. In the past <laughs> well, I'm from years. Texas. I'm claiming yeah, mine. Yeah, but I'm, I want... I'm from the, I am from the city where it all went down. Okay. So yeah, there you go. Y'all gonna give me my props. I'm not into these new, <laughs> new wave Juneteenth celebrations from people who've never read Shashkir, who've never read Malcolm X, don't know, can't name every country on the continent. Like I need you to pass some tests. Don't know all three verses of the Negro national anthem. You're not allowed to host unless you pass a black test. I just want to say this has been a really great conversation. You guys are so smart. I mean, it's just like, I just, I love when I could just sit back on my own show and, and just listen. And thank you for just contributing just really useful information for those who are listening that don't know this. You know, I mean, I think it's great when you see, like, I saw a video clip of Tom Hanks talking about how angry he was that he didn't know about Tulsa until he was like over 50 and you know and angry that yes so you know continue to listen and share these episodes with your friends with your white friends that are open to it please I know there's a lot of even people of color who are just getting this information from us and didn't know so share it um, thank you so much, you all, for being such great guests today. Um, Keith, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? They can find me on the Twitter at Comedy Daddy and anything else, KeithPriceComic.com. And a friend like us, oh my God. Well, with friends like us, you certainly will be told how to live your life if you need to be told. That's how Ooh. we do it. Because we don't put up with your foolishness. Yes. Friends like us, we don't put up with foolishness. So these, we should be your friends. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. Um, folks can find me. I'm on all the social medias. Instagram right now is my favorite. Um, you know, that's where I summer. I winter on Twitter. When you want to argue, I'm there. I'm on Pinterest for no reason. <laughs> But the the coordinating of all of that is veryfunnylady.com because unless you love me, you can't spell my name. So verryfunnylady.com is where you can find me. And I think with friends like us, we will always be enlightened and elevated. Thank you. And thanks for reaching out to me too. I appreciate it though. Oh, honey, of course. She was like, I was thinking about you. I was like, yeah. (laughs) Oh. Jenna? Okay, uh... I'm Jenna and I'm at the Jenna Bond on Instagram. It just echoes into Twitter um, and I can be found on the southern end of Lenox Avenue. Um, so <laughs> I'm not scared. Uh, and with friends like us, you'll always have a hot toddy. Ooh, I love it. I 
love it. Keith, you know see you want Lennox. Sis. What? <laughs> I'll see song. you on the Rockaway Beach. That's <laughs> Thank you so much. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com, and the link tree that's on uh, all those things. Link tree has everything on it. It's on my Instagram. And with friends like us, it is like a beach in Hawaii. There you go. Oh, that's a dream. Yeah. Check, Check us out. Us out.